welcome to Twin Flames, the podcast, a show about the therapeutic use of tarot, dreams, and spirituality for holistic health and transformation. We are two friends and psychotherapists who are passionate about both scientific and mystical interventions for self-care and healing. Thank you for joining us. Quick disclaimer before we start the show today. Although we are therapists, we are not your therapists. Please don't take our words as medical or therapeutic advice unless you'd like to pay us a session fee. Just kidding. The information we present on this podcast and on corresponding social media is not intended to be used for diagnosis, treatment, or medical, mental, or spiritual care. Please consult with your personal clinicians or healthcare providers on a regular basis. everyone welcome to this episode of the twin flames podcast today we're going to be talking about the myths of tarot specifically we're going to go into debunking five main myths we'll just list them out first myth number one tarot is fortune telling myth number two tarot is magic and to be used by psychics or occultists only another common myth is tarot is evil scary or demonic I've heard that one a lot. Myth number four is that tarot is incompatible with most world religions. And finally, we're going to touch on myth number five, which is tarot is not practical, ethical, and cannot be used in psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. So let's get into myth number one. Tarot is fortune telling. So while some people do use the tarot for divination, not everybody does. In fact, we personally stay away from fortune-telling. We stay away from predicting the future Mm -hmm. because we personally don't find it helpful. Um, And I think it can be pretty disempowering for people, or harmful even, um, to be predicting the future because sometimes people feel like they don't have a say in how their life's going to go. So we personally don't use it. Obviously, some people do. Um, But nowadays, tarot is actually used for introspection, therapy, creativity, self-reflection, things like that. I would say the only thing closest to fortune-telling that we do is risk assessment. Um, Ooh, say more. uh, You know, a client's risk level on the likelihood that they're going to hurt themselves or hurt others. Um, So those are kind of good measures for you know fortune telling i hadn't thought of it that way yeah technically we are trying to predict the future like is this client going to kill themselves or hurt themselves Mm -hmm. or someone else or reoffend that's a really good point actually it's pretty (laughs) funny um yeah i think you and i just we use tarot for psychological and spiritual exploration would you say that tarot that people saying that tarot is used for fortune telling, do you think that they're confusing that with intuition? Yes, I feel like you have some really interesting thoughts on intuition because I think people do confuse it for intuition and they get threatened by intuition a lot. Which is trusting your gut, Mm -hmm. right? So having some insight into what may happen if you continue this pattern or continue these behaviors yes you're going to develop insight and I think that's what you're doing with tarot is you're looking at that and saying okay if I do this what might be the outcome if I do this other thing what might be the outcome of that Mm -hmm. yeah I think people do that's a really good question I think people do confuse intuition with 
fortune telling. Because the more intuitive you are, the more likely you will predict the likelihood of your patterns. Yes, absolutely. And then people think it's some sort of magic when in reality you're just really attuned to yourself and other people. Mm -hmm. So let's get into myth number two. Tarot is magic and to be used by psychics or occultists only. So tarot has been used by practitioners of magic. I will say that. Um, It's been used by self-proclaimed witches and occultists alike. And this practice really actually took off in the 18th century when French occultists of the time popularized the use of tarot for divinatory and spiritual practices. But the tarot has been around from since way before the 18th century. So it's interesting that that's when there was a resurgence in like occult use of the tarot. But these occultists in France made up unsubstantiated stories about the origins of the tarot. And those stories are still prevalent in certain communities to this day, which is why a lot of people associate the tarot with psychics or with occultists. Because of the negative perspective back then and it was misunderstood. Yeah. So another quick point about the history of tarot is that, um, like I mentioned earlier, it was widely used, tarot was widely used prior to the 18th century by everyday people, not just occultists. In fact, historians believe that the tarot originated sometime between 1420 and 1440 in northern Italy, which at the time was predominantly Catholic. Um, and it probably, the tarot probably made it into the court of Milan um, first. So the writer way is that the original tarot like the pictures that were originally used in the 1400s no composite. okay no so actually the original pictures were like the marseille tarot which is a french version um there's also the visconti tarot there were some in the court of milan that were used so they look very different and rider weight smith were the people who took those images and actually they added their own stuff to it so the original cards had more had pictures that were more closely related to the the bible i would say so i mean i think the rider weight still held on to a lot of that symbolism but i would say that yes that the original tarot decks had a lot of christian symbolism and they also the one big difference is that the minor cards the minor arcana were not i mean there weren't other images to go with the like three of wands or whatever mm-hmm. it was just literally three wands on a card whereas the rider weight added you know these images that can tell stories to the miners so gotcha yeah interesting so there's a lot of history there oh yeah and people to be honest with you people don't really know exactly where the tarot comes from so this is all a lot of it is speculation i mean there's some original tarot decks that people have found um but they're not complete you know so a lot of it is just like added on people have added on to this tradition over years yeah i guess the only other thing i'd like to mention about myth number two is that tarot readings have become really popular forms of self-care and pretty much anybody can pick them up and learn how to do tarot readings And what's cool about the tarot is that you can infuse it with your own beliefs, your own personal perspectives on things. You don't have to follow a pre-prescribed, you know, way of doing it. So in that way, it's very personal. You can also get decks that are more closely related to particular beliefs that you might have. Um, You know, like the deck that you got today. Yes. Right? Yep. I got the, it's called the 
tarot deck of the good mother i believe it's like a by a french artist and it depicts a lot of saints and me having grown up with a christian background i like i've always connected with the saints and so i like having that um, but then one of the decks that you looked at today was like a non-binary deck um, and it had yeah just some like really interesting imagery on there so people can find yeah you can find like an african tarot deck or you can find a non-binary or an lgbtq deck or latinx yeah. yeah yeah there's lots of options out there which is also really cool it could literally be used for all religions yeah from all walks of life all beliefs yeah all types of people yeah that's awesome Yeah, and I would also mention, too, you don't have to be a psychic or an occultist to practice tarot. I don't consider myself either, and I practice it on a daily basis. Myth number three, tarot is evil, scary, or demonic. The cards, pretty much they're neutral stimuli that we project our thoughts and feelings that provoke certain reactions in us, which helps give us insight into our world and what's going on yeah projecting your unconscious or your subconscious onto these cards your desires your drives maybe things you're not even aware of consciously you're projecting onto them and getting it's like kind of like a mirror almost Mm -hmm. which Um, might be safer to project onto than other people another human being because that human being has their own projections that they're projecting back onto you so that makes it a little messier, whereas the tarot is, like you said, just cards and art. They're not going to have a reaction to you. Yeah, I would say that what you make of tarot and tarot cards is based on your intentions and the attitude that you bring to your readings. So we often hear in the Christian community that the tarot is evil, it's scary, it's demonic, and that's likely because of the more quote-unquote threatening images that some people perceive on these cards so things like the devil or um, death the death card however keep in mind that what makes these cards scary is one's own projection onto the card so you're really kind of scaring yourself in a way Um, some people may see the death card as a bad omen for example and that will freak them out but that's been created by their own projection whereas other people may see the death card as a welcoming Uh, of much needed change and that's their own projection based on their experiences with death yeah based exactly based on their histories their backgrounds or their own beliefs Mm -hmm. cultural yeah viewpoints on death absolutely others might find the tarot problematic because they believe it to be divinatory which we talked about like they think it's magic or fortune telling And it's likely due to the tarot's resurgence in occult practices in the last century, like we talked about. So it's, it yes, it has been used in those communities, but it's actually been used in a lot of different communities, not just the occult. Um, And also, if you really want to get honest, (laughs) Christians, and I can say this as a Christian myself, Christians themselves have engaged in divination, whether they realize it or not. So, for example, when somebody randomly opens the Bible, in search of guidance or to find a verse that's specifically relevant to them in that moment, they're practicing divination. Because a lot of times people be like, oh my God, that verse spoke exactly to what I needed to hear today. Um, And let's be clear on the term divination, what it means. So according to author Sky Alexander, divination simply means the practice of letting the divine realm manifest. So if you're letting the divine manifest in your life, you're practicing divination. And 
game companies, yes. like gaming companies, they sell tarot cards. Yeah. Like I've seen tarot decks that were made from like Game USA. Yes. That's actually true to the tarot's history because tarot really it was not developed as any other tool than to play games. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, back in back storytelling in the, games. Storytelling actually, mm-hmm. yeah, they created like poems based off of the pictures and the cards, which is narrative therapy. Ooh, <laughs> yes, it is. Right. It's interesting because now nowadays, tarot has become like almost for a lot of people a spiritual or therapeutic practice that like you don't need authority for so i think that's threatening to religious institutions because if people can just you know do this at home and trust their own inner wisdom their own divine wisdom and i think that's threatening to a lot of institutions and i will okay i will mention too tarot can certainly be used as part of a spiritual practice but you don't have to like people automatically associate tarot with spirituality and it doesn't have to be a spiritual practice at all like at all like atheists can use it and the tarot does not dictate who you pray to now let's go to myth number four which is tarot is incompatible with most world religions Mm -hmm. this is false because tarot isn't a religion it's not religious it's deeply spiritual Correct. And there seems to be some confusion between religion and spirituality yes. for some people. So, Laura, how would you yeah, kind of explain? Religion is more institutionalized. It's more, um, there's kind of like routine and tradition built into it. There's a hierarchy typically in religion, whereas spirituality is more personal. And I think it can kind of um, transcend different religions or different beliefs and you're not necessarily relying on a hierarchy or an institution to drive your spiritual life or to help you connect with the divine so that's how i see religion and spirituality being different and spirituality is a part of our wellness yes right our wellness wheel oh yeah when you look at it from like a therapeutic standpoint yes Yes, and spirituality maybe is like an umbrella term and religion fits under that. Mm -hmm. So like you can be spiritual but not religious, you can be spiritual and religious. I came across this quote in this article by Elizabeth Wilson that I really liked that I wanted to read. She said that religion should never have been allowed to hijack all that we don't know and pervert it into certainty. But the tarot's redeeming feature is its acknowledgement of mystery through the free play of visual metaphor. Mm. Its playfulness contradicts those who dismiss it as superstition. It speaks not of rules for life and dogma, but like many secular aesthetic experiences of possibilities. Wow. I love that. I love that. With the visual metaphor mm-hmm. and seeing it as a form of free play and how visual metaphors yeah. are used with all religions oh yeah and viewpoints absolutely because metaphor and symbolism is just an inherently human thing to do so all religions all beliefs are going to have some form of symbolism and metaphor inserted into it i mean some people would argue that some of the stories in the bible for example are metaphorical jesus for example spoke a lot in parables 
You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. told like these parables that you had to figure out for yourself. Mm-hmm. And you look at it and you take from it what you think makes sense. So the pastor mm-hmm. or priest mm-hmm. is the one who's taking that yes. and telling you yes. which direction to go with it. Correct. Whereas if you use tarot and therapy as a therapist, you know, you're not going to tell your client which way to go. Exactly. You're going to give them that sense of control yes. and empowerment to decide what they want to make of Correct. what that card means. Yes, because a good therapist, in my opinion, and I think your opinion too, Leah, knowing your work, is not somebody who's going to dictate or act as the quote-unquote expert or tell people what to do. Mm-hmm. They're going to empower, like you said, empower their clients to make their own decisions and to be able to function on their own with what makes sense for them. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Laura. So if you have a client coming in who has some spiritual trauma yeah, um, mm. and is very used to that way of... Mm being right being told what to think how to go about things and then you how do you think that that would impact them having that choice to that's a really good question first of all I want to say that like I never bring up tarot on my own unless my client has said something that's like oh they're clearly thinking like I literally had a client the other day who was like you know one of the things on my bucket list is to do a tarot reading. And I've never been, like, randomly. Like, I did not bring up tarot. I did not have my cards out. I didn't have anything. Sometimes it just comes up, and then I'm able to step into that. Which, before this episode, we actually pulled two cards. We pulled the... The Nine of Swords. Nine of Swords and Eight of Wands. Yes. And so what you just said, Mm -hmm. literally, is, like, the fear, right? The The anxiety. Nine of Swords, yes. And, yeah, you mentioned the Eight of Wands. That's all about, like, fast movement and, like, progression and, you know, moving forward. And, like, to me, it was I, – I don't think I was at an Eight of Wands point in the beginning when I started with tarot. But now I feel like I am, and I'm, like, gaining momentum, and I'm really getting into it. But I always have to be mindful that not everybody is there. I also can't help but think about – taking you know just taking tarot out of the picture with therapy and if you have clients who are coming in who are used to having authority figures tell them how to believe what to do Mm -hmm. that might also make it hard for them to explore things yes on their own in therapy without looking for looking at you for reassurance and guidance absolutely and if you're kind of stuck with that yeah you might bring in some other tools like maybe art therapy Mm -hmm. giving them the power to develop something yes absolutely absolutely yeah you have to get creative with that because that's the only way to get unstuck have you had experiences like that where I know you work primarily with kids and teenagers but where people ask you for directives yes yep I've had a lot of of kids ask me what I want to do in therapy um, and it's hard for them to make those decisions, yeah. especially some kids with trauma. They rely on older adults yes. who they've trusted, mm-hmm. right? And they don't know how to make those decisions on their own mm-hmm. because maybe some of those times that they have, yes, things have resulted in trauma. Yeah. 
or they were told that they couldn't or their choices were taken away from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you handle that? I encourage them to keep practicing, even yeah. though it's uncomfortable. Yes. You know, you, s- you kind of see me bring in yes. my, my gig clients to come pick out a fidget toy out of yeah. the prize bucket at the end. And you can always tell the ones who have the most anxiety mm. or have a history of trauma have a hard time picking out what yeah. they want making that decision yeah yeah and I don't say you know hurry up mm-hmm. just kind of sit there and you let them take their time and I will kind of point out hey I noticed you picked mm-hmm. the pink bouncy ball first mm-hmm. so it sounds like that's what your gut is telling you that you want to you know you're teaching them intuition that's beautiful which in tarot you also decide what spread you want to do yes what when you're done shuffling, yep, and you go with it and you trust it. Absolutely. You, yeah, you have to trust your gut with tarot because there is no formula for, like, which card do I pick for my reading. No, you just have to feel it. And even with decks, like, the deck that you pick to use, it has to be one that you intuitively feel drawn to. Again, you know, tarot is compatible with most world religions, and it has been touched by many different religions throughout history Mm -hmm. i think judaism Mm -hmm. um, the kabbalah for sure yeah which is really cool to have it is something that has been used and accepted by multiple Multiple people people throughout multiple centuries and if you know we don't need to get into this now but like that's literally the power of the collective unconscious because if you think about a tarot deck it's almost like a collection or a representation of the human collective unconscious over centuries because we just keep adding meaning and layers to it and different art and different ideas onto it. So you're holding, like, the collective unconscious in your hands. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. I've never thought of it that way. And sometimes we need to have things visually. Yes. And kind of hold in our hands. Yes, literally, yes feel less anxious so that yeah that nine of swords we can deal with that nine of swords Mm -hmm. absolutely all right should we go on to the next myth yes so myth number five tarot is not practical or ethical and cannot be used in psychotherapy what do you think of that leo times have changed right you know especially in the field of psychology yeah we came across some dissertations actually Mm -hmm. a lot of dissertations on the tarot which is really cool yeah and there was one done by Gigi Hoffer through the University of Victoria she said in her dissertation that it seems to me that the self-reflective use of tarot is more in line with the therapeutic activities than is the divinatory use so tarot is more in line with therapy than it is with divination or the occult I mean, I've seen articles, too, about ways that tarot can be useful as a supplement in psychotherapy. I actually, one of my old therapists, so I do my own personal therapy, and one of my old therapists that I used to go see, she had, like, tarot readings that she did at her private practice. And she sometimes had, like, she had a deck of, I remember, Jungian archetype cards, and we used them regularly in my sessions 
we did art regularly in my sessions. We did a lot of like work with symbolism because sometimes that was the easiest way for me to express what was going on. Right. Um, so people do use it. And of course, we're not saying, you know, do tarot therapy like exclusively. Like nobody is saying, you know, just use tarot. But if it makes sense, if it makes sense for the client, if it makes sense for the situation, this can be really helpful. So one of the things um, that some of the articles we found mentioned is that tarot can provide clients with fresh and new perspectives to an issue that they feel stuck with, which you kind of alluded to earlier, Leah. Because of the tarot cards, you know, they're chosen at random, Mm -hmm. have potential to touch on all of our blind spots in a way that few other tools can, Mm -hmm. even without interpretation on the part of the clinician. A single image or a pair or cluster Mm -hmm. can provide a client with a brand new way of seeing a situation. Yes. Um, So having some more structure and more guidance rather than just sitting there and trying to think of ways to interpret their situation having something to spark some insight yes into how to make sense of sense of their situation absolutely and if you think about it think about how powerful this tool can be for people who are isolated or don't have a huge support system because typically you want to have people to bounce ideas off of and if you don't have that but you have tarot cards who can offer some different perspectives that's like life-changing you're not Mm -hmm. stuck in the nine of swords by yourself Right. You're using the energy of the cards, the eight of wands energy from the cards mm-hmm. and getting multiple different perspectives. And you're teaching them how to do a practice on their own outside of yes. therapy. It's a coping tool. Yeah. Absolutely. And I thought this was cool too. Leah, you mentioned the other day about how tarot can be used... Um, alongside metaphors in therapy like as therapists we do use a lot of metaphors to make things a little easier to understand for people um for example sometimes i i talk about like suppressing unpleasant thoughts and emotions as like a giant beach ball that you're trying to press into the water and like you can press it for a really long time but eventually that beach ball is going to pop up You know, and that's why we want to, like, deal with unpleasant thoughts and emotions. So there's a metaphor that I use. But you can have just ready-made metaphors right there in a tarot card to use in therapy to illustrate something. Metaphors are so powerful. And it's amazing when your clients come up with their own metaphors to describe their experiences and their insights. I've had, you know, teenagers talk about their feelings as, like, an onion right peeling back those layers Mm -hmm. um I had someone describe their healing process as like a cocoon and like starting out as a caterpillar yes taking their time in that cocoon yeah getting ready messy yeah in the cocoon (sighs) Yeah, yeah so it's just it's amazing to see all of the different metaphors that clients can come up with I love that And that gives you a new, talk about narrative therapy, that gives you a new narrative to kind of hold on to about yourself. Maybe the narrative you grew up with was that you're useless or you're not worth anything. But if you can provide them with a metaphor or a tarot reading that shows something different, they can hold on to that metaphor. They can start thinking of themselves as the butterfly. Maybe you felt useless because you were simply stuck in a cocoon, but you were still doing the transformative work necessary to become a butterfly. What you said just reminded me also of 
a time where a kid had trauma, mm-hmm. um, and he had a lot of guilt thinking that the situation that mm-hmm. happened was his fault. Yes. But he was actually the hero in the situation because he called 911. Wow. And so we were able to have that hero cape <sighs> and put it on him oh. and saying, you know, you were that hero. Wow. You did the right thing. How healing. And so that was kind of his metaphor was I... I put on the cape. Yeah. And I jumped into action. And that reminds me of the hero's journey. Yes, which is all tied back to tarot Mm -hmm. because the tarot is about the fool's journey Mm -hmm. through all the different phases of life. Which ties into Eric Erickson's developmental stages. Yes. And humanistic... Yeah, Absolutely, because, yeah, existential and humanistic theories are all about self-actualization, getting the client to write their own story and literally be the hero of their own story. Yeah, and I guess we've already kind of talked about this, but tarot can empower clients, and we just kind of touched on how that's empowering. Like, you create your own new narrative, and you figure out how to deal with your stuff, and you have a different tool you can use in your toolbox. Like, it's so empowering. And you get to choose. You make your decision. Let me ask you this, and I'm not dissing manualized therapy approaches. Mm -hmm. How does empowerment fit Mm -hmm. in with manualized treatment Mm. therapy approaches versus client-centered, client-led That's a really good question. Approaches. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, I definitely use aspects of manualized treatments. You know, you and I got trained in EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing this year, and that's pretty manualized. And, you know, DBT, for example, dialectical behavioral therapy is manualized. And I use approaches, I mean, I use interventions from both approaches. Um, However, I do think sometimes those approaches can be really disempowering for clients because you've got a therapist that's using a manual that's directing the session that's kind of prescribing things to people like this is what you do or here's your homework for the week the more structured you get sometimes the less empowering it can be for clients whereas client-centered and humanistic approaches very often put the literally put the client at the center so it's all about the client as the expert on themselves how can we as the therapists meet them where they're at and help them find their own power? Not by reading in a book and telling them what the manual tells us to do, mm-hmm. but literally by using their innate wisdom that they possess. Which could be overwhelming for them, but yes. also for some clients that structure and that guidance might be helpful. Yes. However, what if they don't get their homework done right bringing it which a lot of them don't a lot of my clients when I've done homework don't come back with it done and then yeah you don't want to shame them or make them feel bad because a lot of times they already feel bad about themselves Um, and maybe maybe we start off with more manualized or more structured therapy because that's safer especially for people who have experienced a lot of trauma and then we slowly train and help guide our clients to more intuitive, more client-centered approaches. That makes sense, especially with kids. Sometimes, you know, you think, hey, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to teach you all these skills. Yes. Look at this 
picture mm -hmm. of the anger iceberg. You know, here's your anger right here. Mm -hmm. Let's explore all these feelings down here. And kids just kind of sometimes just shut that out yeah. because they want to slow down and play. Yes. And sometimes you just need to slow down and play with them. Yes. And that's where a lot of healing happens. Absolutely. That could be the motto of the tarot. Sometimes we just need to slow down and play. Yes. Like tarot has really taught me to slow down, to pause, to reflect to really look at myself and it is to me it's fun it's like a playful thing to do yes it's spiritual yes it's self-reflective but slow down and play yeah yeah I love that I do too slow down and play people yes <laughs> another point that this article said that we really liked was tarot cards are a unique way to tap experience that is otherwise difficult to verbalize yes so yeah, which I think is so important. We can use the tarot when words fail us. A lot of times our clients with trauma, for example, may not have the words or the language or the ability to even explain the horrendous things that they've been through. Or maybe they experience pre-verbal trauma, you know, when they're an infant, for example. So what do you do with that? You know, we need some way to deal with that too. And I think tarot cards can be really helpful in illustrating things or bringing to the forefront the things that we can't put into words or that we can't rationalize or explain which is the same thing as art therapy yeah expressing yourself non-verbally non-verbally or movement therapy or mm. you know um psychodrama sometimes or play therapy i mean you're literally oh, yeah. like playing and creating worlds mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think sometimes, unfortunately, at least in my experience, I've noticed that we've intellectualized therapy a lot. Like, you know I love to intellectualize things, Leah, but sometimes I notice myself asking too many questions and making too many interpretations and not slowing down enough, mm -hmm. not letting the, the client experience what it is that they're experiencing enough. Which brings us back to the cards that we pulled earlier. Yes nine of swords and the eight of wands which is fast-paced and anxiety mm -hmm. and if you put yourself in the client's shoes yeah and all of a sudden you go full full steam ahead yes. let's talk about this trauma oh my gosh and they don't have that verbal ability to yeah. advocate for themselves yes to ask for their needs and they go along with it and that could do more harm than good but it you know you wouldn't know that Right. right. Or what happens if they don't even realize they've been traumatized? I've had so many clients be like, I'm not traumatized. I don't have any trauma. Like, what if the client is not even at a point where they can say, yes, this is trauma and let's reprocess it. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to need symbolism, metaphors, creative outlets for them to start recognizing that, oh, that was kind of messed up. That was not normal. That was really stressful for me. Talking about inner experience does not come naturally to many, mm -hmm. whether it's because people are so fused with their thoughts and feelings that they cannot describe them objectively or because the weight of shame or fear or judgment holds them back from expressing the truth mm -hmm. about their experience. Inability or unwillingness to talk about inner turmoil can thwart or undermine the therapeutic process. Yes, it can. And those judgments and fears don't even have to come from other people sometimes we judge ourselves mm. and we can't even allow ourselves to go to a place we need to go to right because maybe sometimes we have that dual 
dualistic thinking. Yes. Like, it's either I good do, or bad. Yeah. If I admit that I've been traumatized, then my entire life is a sham and horrendous. Mm-hmm. And we forget about all the good things that happened. Mm-hmm. So I have to pretend like everything was fine because I want my life to be good. Mm-hmm. One final point mm-hmm. that Laura and I both appreciate in this article is that tarot cards are neutral philosophically, therapeutically, and spiritually, mm-hmm. and easily adaptable to work within any therapeutic orientation. Yes. Yeah, the symbols and the themes that are depicted in tarot cards represent universal human experiences, um, which include thought processes, personality types, cognitive styles, both healthy and unhealthy, um, Contrary to popular belief, the tarot cards are actually inherently neutral. Culturally sensitive. Like yes. Multi, like it's a multicultural <gasps> approach. Yes. Because you can literally project any culture, any belief system, anything onto a tarot card. And it doesn't exclude yes. certain people yes. from using it. Anyone can use it. And it doesn't put certain people above others Mm. like for example i'm thinking of being a white therapist working with a black client why am i the expert in the room why and i'm I'm really not in a lot of ways because i don't know what the black experience is like for example so this is literally like allowing people to speak their truth and to be the expert on themselves i love that absolutely yeah and you're letting them decide yes their narrative yeah and to allow you to witness their story unfold in front of you which is such a privilege because a lot of their stories were hijacked yes as children yep and it was not written out the way that they deserved yep or hijacked by broader society Mm. by institutions by those in power and pandemics and pandemics yeah the other thing too thanks for bringing that up actually because the covid pandemic i think has caused uh interest or has ignited an interest in people um people are much more likely to turn to spiritual or mystical practices i've noticed even in my own you know work with clients people are hungry for that and so i believe that we're going to be called as therapists to incorporate more spiritual or mystical or um, reflective practices into our therapy approach. Because that's where the that's field where is people taking. Are going. Yes, yeah. that's where the field's going. That's where clients are going. That's what people are hungry for right now. And I love that about our field, how it's becoming more progressive. Yes. And it's moving in the right direction. Yes. And like the nine of swords that we pulled before this podcast people who are not willing to go with the speed or the you know the direction that the field is going that's going to create a lot of anxiety and avoidance on being comfortable with where the field is going absolutely oh yes very well said yeah if you can't keep up with the eight of wands yep it's gonna be a problem and i love how Therapy is both an art and a science. Yeah. And yes, we can all rely on the science aspect of yes. it, you know, using manualized therapy. Right. Um, scientific approaches, which is very important to have. Research. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then 
the real magic in the work yeah. that you do with clients is that art. Yes. How you mold it to the client. Absolutely. How you make it individualized and not a cookie cutter approach. Mm-hmm. You're not putting them in a category. Nope. You're not viewing them as a norm group. Yep. Because every single person is different and we have to be flexible and creative when it comes to meeting those individuals where they're at. Which helps them become more flexible. Yes. In their view, in their experience. In their approach to life, in the way they relate to other people. Mm -hmm. And think about how much healing you do by teaching someone to be flexible and to feel empowered Mm -hmm. I mean, you're healing their families, their friends, indirectly. Which can be really healing for a lot of people who have grown up in this country Mm -hmm. when things were not flexible. Yep. When a lot of communities were, like, pre-prescribed or they were expected to lead certain lives because of who they were as individuals. They were constricted to a system. Yep. And this is going against that oppressive system. And undoing, hopefully, well, this is, a lot, this is a little bit of a tall order, but you're hopefully undoing some of that oppression by helping mm-hmm. people think outside the box and by letting them be the experts on themselves. Yes. And the, the creators of certain decks that we've come across recently. Yes. It's so cool how many different decks are out there. Yep. And they're created by different groups of people. Mm-hmm. Different artists. It's just fascinating to me, and it's beautiful. It, it, you know, you, yeah, we have CBT therapy, yes. we have EMDR therapy, and we have different forms of CBT to use with different groups of people. Yes. But this is more, tarot can be more personalized. Yes. Because they can add their own flavor or their own Absolutely. viewpoint or their own beliefs. And they can see themselves reflected in the cards that they use. Mm. Yes. It could be literally because of the deck that they're using. Maybe they're using an LGBTQ deck or figuratively, like they're projecting themselves on whatever deck is there. One final point before we wrap up today is that research in the field of tarot and psychotherapy is sparse and it's not a substitute for a solid treatment foundation mm-hmm. of empirically supported approaches. Yes. So like we said, it's, it's that art piece. Yes. On top of the supplements. Yeah. It's supplementing the science. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Good point. But I think there's much more research being done in that area. And that's why I love this field. Yep. It's always changing. Yeah. It's always exciting. Well, I think that just about wraps it up for this episode. Thank you for joining us.